You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, Aaron's here. I am here. J.P. Finley's scheduled to be on the program today. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. There's Trent Williams news. Uh, There was a tweet put out by Doug Gottlieb about Dwayne Haskins, which we will talk about. But but I'm going to open with this. The Combine's underway, and there's a name you should keep an eye on and an ear open for, and his name's Michael Turk. Uh, He's Arizona State's kicker and punter. And at the Combine uh, yesterday, he put up 25 reps at 225 pounds on the bench press. Uh, It was remarkable. The 25 reps were more than current NFL players like Frank Clark, Jadavian Clowney, and Demarcus Lawrence put up. More than Devin White put up last year at the Combine. And so far at the Combine, more than all but one tight end and all 33 receivers, Michael Turk, outperformed on the bench press as a kicker-punter out of Arizona State. Now, that aside, the name may be familiar to you. Matt Turk was his uncle. Matt Turk was a longtime NFL punter, 17-year career, including from the years 1995 through 1999 here in Washington, where he was a first-team All-Pro in 1996 as the Redskins punter. But there's more to Matt Turk. Matt's brother, Dan Turk, was the long snapper in Washington for a couple of seasons, including the season in which Brad Johnson and the Redskins offense led them to a division title in 1999 and into the playoffs where they beat Detroit in a wild card round playoff game and then traveled to Tampa for a divisional round game. The Redskins led that game 13 to nothing. It's the game where Brian Mitchell had a 100-yard kickoff return to start the second half. They were up 13 nothing. They were in total control. It looked like they were on their way to the NFC Championship game to face the greatest show on turf. All right, the, the, those lost those St. Louis Rams of Kurt Warner and company. The year that the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl over the Titans um, in that uh, in that f- incredible Kurt Warner, you know, out of nowhere season. Well, in that divisional round game to get to St. Louis for the NFC Championship game, the Redskins gave up a thirteen nothing lead. They trailed fourteen to thirteen, and with just over a minute to go. The Redskins lined up for a go-ahead field goal from 52 yards out with Brett Conway, who was a pretty good kicker that year, and Dan Turk, Matt Turk's brother. All right, And I don't know if this particular Kirk at Arizona State is Dan Kirk's son. I don't believe it is. Matt Turk was one of six boys in his family. I don't think it was Dan Turk's son because Dan Turk passed away. Um, he's no longer with us. But back to the playoff game. Dan Turk uh, botched the snap. He sent a snap back to Brad Johnson that rolled back. Brad Johnson had to pick it up and try to make a play. He couldn't make a play. The game ended. They lost 14-13. Norv Turner set up after the game as the head coach. When you've got a makeable field goal, you'd like to see the ball at least get up in the air. Uh, Dan Turk uh, was distraught after that game. Quote, oh my God, oh my God, I am so sick. I didn't slip. I don't know what happened. I just, 
I've done what I've done for so long. I don't know if I short-armed it or what. The nose tackle got a jump on me, but nothing abnormal. I don't know. According to the stories back then, Dan Turk didn't even get on the team plane to fly back to D.C. after the loss of that game with a chance to advance to the NFC Championship game. And less than a year later, Dan passed away. Um, I believe it was from cancer. Uh, I didn't actually look that up, and I probably should have. But Dan Turk passed away less than a year later <clears throat> from, I think, cancer. And um, and it was a very sad story. Yes, it was cancer. It was cancer, right? Yes. Um, it was a very sad story. I mean, that, that was... Uh, he was 30 in his mid to late 30s at the time, I believe. So I, I my, my guess is that if, if this could be his son. But again, there were several boys in the Turk family. Um, but when I saw this name pop up on a story about a punter setting you know, uh, records uh, at the combine or, or putting up impressive numbers at the combine as a weightlifter on the bench, um, and I saw the last name, uh, it was part of the whole Turk family. A lot of kickers, a lot of snappers. But I'll never forget that Tampa game, man. That's the closest the Redskins have ever gotten under Dan Snyder to an NFC Championship game. They had a lead, a double-digit lead on the road to get to the NFC title game. The other opportunities that they had, the only other divisional round game that the Redskins have participated in over the last 21 seasons was the year that they beat Tampa in a wild card game and then played Seattle in the divisional round game and lost to the Seahawks, a game they were in, had a chance early, if you if you recall, if Carlos Rogers hangs on to a sure pick six for a 10-0 lead, um, but he dropped it and the Redskins went on to lose that game. Uh, rest in peace, Dan Turk, of course, and good luck. Um, to the younger of the Turks, uh, Michael Turk, the Arizona State, uh, you know, uh, kicker punter, um, who is apparently going to be available in this draft, and who knows, may 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 get drafted. When, just real quickly, when you think about the, the playoff futility of the last twenty-one years, and you put it in sort of the context that I just put it in, that they've only played in the second weekend of the postseason two times in 21 seasons under Dan Snyder, and actually it's two times since 1992. All right, so, you know, there there were several seasons, obviously, with the Cooks and with Charlie Casserly as the GM that the Redskins didn't play in the divisional round either. But that has to be one of the worst runs of a professional football team ever. It's one thing not to win Super Bowls or get to Super Bowls. It's another thing to only participate in the second round of the playoffs two times in 20 it'll it's 27 years. Two times in 27 years. Not good. All right, uh, JP Finley's going to join us uh, so we can talk about the Trent Williams news um, and the Ryan Kerrigan news which he got from Ron Rivera. JP is in Indianapolis uh, and has been there all week for the NFL scouting combine. Um, and he had this story yesterday about Ron Rivera saying Ryan Kerrigan's a part of the plans for 2020, had some stuff on Brandon Sheriff. We'll get his thoughts on the Trent Williams news as well. Um, first of all, what, what's the week been like there? I've been a couple of times years ago. Um, I, I'm not a big consumer of it on television, really. You know, I'll read about the different players that are performing well. What's it like to be there these days? 
cold. It's been <laughs> snowing all week. Has it really? Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like the cold. <laughs> Indianapolis is not my favorite place. But it, it's cool. You know, every year I've been out here, there's kind of been like one dominant theme that is the conversation kind of everywhere you go. And, and one of the cool things about Indianapolis is that it's, it's a small city. So the, the downtown is very condensed and kind of everywhere you go, you're running into scouts, coaches, agents, like the people that make the NFL work. And the, the dominant themes this week are, are the CBA, which I, I, I definitely think is going to get approved and Tom Brady, where he's going. And, and those two things are such a big deal that everything else is kind of secondary. Like, for us, for you and I, what the Redskins are going to do at number two is a big deal. But out here, it's not that big of a deal. You know what's funny is, um, I, I didn't mention this yet, but last night at dinner I ran into to, uh, Demora Smith yeah, totally by accident. So he was actually He's in – back in the Feds already? Yeah, he was in town last night. Um, he was actually sitting near a table where I was. I didn't see him, but I just happened to turn my head as he got up and he was walking in my direction – and um and I just said, are we gonna get a deal done or, or not? And he said, we're trying, we're trying. Um, but the, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? At, what is a Columbia Country Club guy doing at Bethesda Country Club? That's what I want to know. So you, so now you know where I was last night. Um, because Did I that, nail that? Yeah, because that's exactly where I was last night. I was actually <laughs> with friends and clients of my wife. Um, who couldn't have been more pleasant, more fun to hang out with, um, but that's where we were. Uh, I didn't. I had no idea Demora Smith was was a member of Bethesda. I know I've. Seen, you know, it's actually interesting because I told my wife this last night when we were driving home. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, eight years ago. Do you do you know him well or or, or not? I know him. I wouldn't say well, but I know him. And, so and how, I, old I cool. how old are his kids? How old are are his kids? I, I think. I think his son plays lacrosse at Maryland. Okay, so this was 10 years ago, I'm guessing, every bit of 10 years ago. And I don't know that. I believe that to be the case. I don't know it. Um, I was, and this was, you know, 10 years ago, he wasn't necessarily the lead voice for the NFLPA. It was just as he was sort of emerging into the position sure. that he has now. Anyway, make a long story short, I was at one of my son's, I think it was a lacrosse game, and it was right there um, at the elementary school next to Modern Day, um, which is is that Seven Locks Elementary? Seven Locks, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and it was at that school on that field, and I'm sitting there watching the game, and sure enough, he and I strike up a conversation, and I didn't really realize who he was at the time, and he told me, and we ended up having a very nice conversation. But within, you know, as you know, you know the area, within a few hundred yards last night, I ran into him last night. Um, but he did. He That's just said, we're, we're hopeful, and hopefully it gets done. I, I'll tell you what, personally, I've sort of followed this in detail. I, If I were the players, I would not only vote yes, I'd vote yes twice if I could, um, because... The, now I understand there's a lot more to than to this thing than just sort of the quid pro quo for a 17th game, but the 17th game to me, JP, has been the they and, and look from a leverage standpoint and from a negotiation standpoint, you want to make it a big deal. It's one extra game, 
It's like, seriously, when you do the math on the reduction of the preseason game and all of the padded practices, etc., the amount of incremental contact that would put them in sort of a, a different safety situation is negligible. And the money that the league is going to get and they're going to share in is astronomical. I, I just, I've never understood the hang-up over 17 games if, for, for the players. I largely agree with you. My two things are going to 17 and having a rote every other year, having nine and then eight home games is a mess. And I would never do a 10-year deal. I, I think this thing should be five and then you recalibrate and, and look at what the new figures are going to look like. Ten years is – dude, in ten years, do you think we have any idea how people are going to be consuming media and content? Because I don't. I, I think – think about how we were consuming media ten years ago. I, I just – I think five years is the proper term. I, I, that, if I – like the biggest thing I hate about politics is that there's no term limits. The biggest thing I hate about this deal is that it's a 10-year deal. Yeah, I mean, to be honest Outside with you. Outside of that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think I've given a lot of thought to sort of the term and the length. I think labor peace for this particular league and having the comfort of long-term labor peace is just good for everybody. But you're it's right. I mean, sure. you know, technology and the way things are consumed. I mean, things change so quickly, but there's a way to probably incorporate that in as some sort of well, ability to amend the deal based on certain circumstances. I don't know. I just I just know this, that this league generates, you know, we're talking about, you know, double-digit billions a year. It's not the NBA. It's not the NHL. It's not Major League Baseball. And, yes, there are more players, and you're sharing it with more people, um, but – they're not going to get 50-50. <laughs> they're, just, they're not getting a 50% share of the cut. Well, and the biggest thing that gets forgotten in these conversations is every other league, baseball, basketball, any of it, is all dependent on cable television. And, hey, man, I've, I've worked at a cable television outlet, ultimately, and I, I'm a believer in cable television. Let me say that in case anyone's listening. But the NFL is not dependent on cable television in the slightest. They're on broadcast free over-the-air TV, and that's what – the fact that they're getting more money than anybody and they're on free TV, they're the king, and they're going to stay the king. Yeah. All right, let's get to some Redskins stuff. Let's start with the Trent Williams stuff, um, and then we'll get to the stuff that you reported as well. Um, Mike Garofolo, NFL Network, uh, I guess sort of with Ian Rappaport, essentially saying that while the Redskins and Trent Williams continue to talk, the net of it is Trent has communicated to the Redskins, trade me or give me a new contract. Um, uh, in essence, you know, sort of laying down the law in the same way that Quentin Dunbar attempted to do it. What do you know about the situation? What are your thoughts? Um. I'm not going to say that I know the situation, but I'm going to tell you what I think about this situation. I think Trent and Ron have what – Trent didn't play at all last year, right? And it was kind of a three-pronged thing. He, the medical, the cancer, how he felt, the doctors, the, the medical staff at Redskins Park handled him was, was poor. That, that was a huge part of that. He lost trust and faith in Bruce Allen – Bruce Allen's tactic of trying to find him and bleed him dry financially to get him to report only pushed Trent 
further to not report. It was a it was a bad strategy and it failed. And then there was the there was the money. There was the contract. There was the guaranteed money. Larry Ness is gone. Bruce Allen's gone. Those two things are gone now. This is now purely about money, which some slash many inside of Redskins Park would have said last year this was all about money. Right. And, and that's a different conversation. But now, going forward, this is about cash. And I'm, I'm waiting to report it, but the number I heard that Trent wants for a new deal or, or at least that his representatives were asking for last August, when you and I both know trades were on the table, is staggering. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. it is far north of what the O line franchise tag will be, which I think is 15, 16 mil this year. It is far north of that. So, if that is the baseline of, of, of what his organization wants, that's why there's not a trade. That's why there's not a trade offer because there's not a team in the world that's going to go to 20 or more million dollars a year. Well, 20 million or more would be excessive and far above the highest average annual of who's got the average. Is it Luan right now? It's 16, five, something like that. Or is it Lane? Or is what it? Did, uh, I think. What did Lane? Didn't Lane Johnson just get like seventeen okay. or something? Yeah. Okay. So it's Lane Johnson at, at close to eighteen. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to. Okay. No. That, that sounds right. That sounds right. So he's he wants twenty or north. He wants he wants to be the highest paid left tackle in the history of the game. Which, by the way, I I, I can't say this officially on your podcast because my because NBC will kill me if I don't write it first. Right. But the number is staggering, dude. Well, what I was going to say to you and what I said on radio this morning, that this right now has to be an issue where he's asking for too much and they're not willing to go to that number, and that's why there is a bit of a stalemate here, and that's why he realizes it may not happen here and why he's asking for a trade now um, or you know the contract extension. Let me just say this. He doesn't deserve that kind of a deal. You know, he is extraordinarily talented. You could argue that he's, you know, a top three left tackle in the game when healthy. But his availability, the fact that he took a year off, his age, all add up to more of a top five contract, somewhere around five, not number one by two million plus per year, um, you know, compared to the next best. 32 in July, but I I always say this about Trent, he's got – the absolute best feat for an offensive lineman in football and scouts will tell you that maybe in 20 years of football. I mean, his footwork and his agility for his size is unmatched. Unmatched. Now, you can argue about different things, downhill blocking, all sorts of stuff, but that that is fact, right? Um, but if you're his rep and you just missed a year at – you just missed $12.5 million coming in, you got to try to make that up, right? Like you just missed twelve million dollars. That's that's a big boat. Yeah, I'm just saying that I don't know that anybody's going to give him you know two million more a year on average than Lane Johnson, you know, is getting paid. I know that the Redskins are not. 
I, I wonder if anybody would give him that. I think there's somebody out there that would, would say, I'll make you the highest paid left tackle in the game, but not by, you know, not by a factor of 20%. You know, or you know, if, you know, yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood, 10, 10 to fifteen percent above what the last deal was. So I, I um, so so let me ask you this: Is it your belief that he's going to play elsewhere and they're going to trade him? Yeah, honestly, at this point, I I I don't see the skins paying that. I just don't, and and maybe that'll change. Maybe maybe the asks or the requests will become a little more realistic, but I, I, I wrote a story yesterday after Mike put his tweet out, kind of my reaction to all of that, and here's what I take from, so if you listen to Garofolo's report, and, and Mike's my friend, like he did, he does a great job, but Mike didn't go hard on that report, if that nope. makes sense. Agreed. And why I think he didn't, and I don't know this, but this is my analysis of it, is that because Ron and Trent have had it's meetings with an S, like they've talked, they've there has been some real interaction there, and I think both sides want to be cool with the other, and so the Redskins don't want to officially come out and say. We're not paying Trent. We're not giving him a new deal. And Trent and his people don't want to come out and say, hey, we're demanding a trade. We want out. So there, there's kind of this, like, peaceful, hey, we, we want a new deal or we want to trade, but we really like each other. Like, everybody wants to have a good way out of this is kind of my thing. But I, I think it's not going to result in Trent Williams wearing burgundy and gold this fall. Well, the Redskins, you know, aren't going to benefit themselves by making it appear that they're desperate to trade him. I mean, you know, they're going right. to ha- they're going to have to remain, you know, from a posturing standpoint interested in working something out with him. But I think most NFL teams would be able to sniff out the following. There's no way the Redskins want to bring him back uh, with one year left on the deal and have him play this year on that final year deal, which Trent doesn't want to do either because you just risk losing him for a compensatory pick a year from now, you know, and there's no reason to go through the trying to bleed him again um, and force him to play under this deal because that just made you look bad and you you lost value and you're not going to, you know, trading, we both know they botched it, right? In a major way, they mishandled this thing as they've mishandled many things. They could have gotten, if you just take the Tunsil deal and cut it in half, you know, it could have been a first plus, you know, they could be sitting here with two first-rounders and maybe a third and a fifth or something like that had they actually had a little bit of vision and been less emotional about the thing. And by the way, save themselves a lot of negative PR, even if even if he's culpable for a lot of it, which, by the way, I believe is true. I believe he's got a hand in all of this as well. Um, but I... I, I'm with you. I, I think if that's really the demand, and this morning on radio I essentially said, look, this is about money right now. He wants too much, and they don't want to pay him whatever it is he's asking for. And if they don't meet somewhere in the middle, he's going to get dealt. So let's assume that that happens. That the, the, I think the, that's completely accurate. So what will they get for him? A second. Yeah. And I think it happens draft week. That's my guess. 
I, I don't know that, but if I had to guess, that's when it happens. I don't think it happens by the new league year. I don't think Trent shows up. The Skins remember this, too, because they have a new head coach. They get to start OTAs early, so they start in the first week of April. They'll, that team will be back in the building before the Masters, you know? So <laughs> I love the way we'll, you think. we'll know then. Uh, with with us, it's always about golf. Um, all right, uh, I know you got to run here quickly, but just on the other things that you wrote about and reported yesterday, um, is it fair to say that Ryan Kerrigan's back on some sort of you know three year restructured deal that ends up you know being cap friendly for the next three years, but he stays a Redskin? I definitely believe that. I think. He's got he's due twelve mil this year, I think. I think they restructure that so he kind of splits that up over the next two years, but they guarantee it. None of that's guaranteed. I think the third year is kind of going to be funny money. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's a two year extension on top of what Ryan has now, and all parties are happy. He breaks the sack record, eventually goes in the the Ring of Fame at FedEx or wherever this new stadium is, and and he's a lifetime Redskins. I hope that's not the only reason they're doing it. I hope they're doing it because they think he can be a significant contributor to a winning team the next two to three years. That it's not Dan wanting him to retire as a Redskin. Because I couldn't give a shit about that. I I know that you can't, and I know that... Think about this. Brian Mitchell is a dear friend to both of us, right? Like, he played for the Eagles and the Giants, and nobody cares about that. Right. Remember him as a Redskins. Of course. So players, Art Monk retired as a New York Jet. Yeah. Like, players can go other places and still be remembered for what they did. I don't think this is about that. I think it's probably a little bit about that, honestly, for ownership. But I think I firmly believe that in this new Jack Del Rio scheme and what Ron wants out of his edge guys, I think Kerrigan could have a big year. I, I think... I think he's poised to thrive. Look at now, Preston Smith's obviously younger and obviously more athletic, but look at the careers of, of Preston Smith and Trent Murphy since they got out of yeah. the Greg Minuski defense. You yeah. know what I mean? No, you're right. And and I don't know what I can say about this because I don't know what's official, but keep an eye on what job Greg Minuski gets next, Kevin. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. In fact, I'm almost 100% sure I know what you're talking about. An NFL defensive coordinator typically gets another good NFL job. Joe Barry did. Joe Barry did. Right. So, um, real quick, go ahead. Finish it. Yeah. Um, Brandon Sheriff, uh, you reported yesterday that they, they, they want to, you know, they want Brandon Sheriff as a part of this team moving forward. Will it come in the form of a long-term contract, or will it come in the form of a franchise tag? I think it starts with a tag, but I think before we get to training camp, it's a long-term deal. Is Eric Flowers going to be a Redskin next year? I don't know. What about Quentin you Dunbar? I think yes. Um, if you're the skins, that's a, that's a that's a value add to have Dunny at three million. I wouldn't be shocked if Quentin gets traded. Um, if they allow his agent to start negotiating elsewhere, I think then it's a done deal because 
there is definitely a team out there that would give. To me, Dunny's a seven, eight million dollar a year player. He's making three million. That's why he's so frustrated. Um, if if you allow his agent to work and go to work other teams, and somebody says we'll start a new deal at three for twenty five, and we'll guarantee fifteen of it. Dunbar's in on that. And then you give the skins a fourth or something. I, I don't know. All right, last one. Um, you know, you're out there, and you said the buzz isn't about the Redskins. But with that said, a lot of headlines. You know, even on shows like First Take and Get Up. You know, about number two overall and what the Redskins really think about Haskins, etc. Ron Rivera's comments. You're, you know, we're going to work two out. We're going to work. You know, Burrow out. Which, by the way, they should be doing. Um, Where are you right now on how they feel about Dwayne Haskins and what their plans are at quarterback? Seventy-five percent smoke, twenty-five percent fire. I I think a lot of it. I I think that if, if they could get, if they could guarantee that they get. Jeff Akuda, the cornerback from Ohio State, at five, which I don't think you're going to get him. I think Detroit wants him at three. But if they could guarantee that they could get him at five, I think they'd be almost eager to do a trade with Miami to pick up more picks. I asked Ron Rivera on our show when I talked to him yesterday or Thursday, how big of a burden is not having a second-round pick? And he, I, I think Ron is generally honest. He either doesn't answer or tells the truth. And he said, it, it, it's a big deal. We need more players. We need more guys. And not having a second-round pick is a big deal. So I, if, they could, if they know they could get Akuda and trade back, I think they would. I just don't think they can. Um, I, I think they're going to take Chase Young. But I'm not ruling the Tua stuff out. Like, I don't think it's going to happen, but... He's gonna get he's gonna get cleared by his docs in eleven days, in nine days or something, March 9th. And then when he has his private workout, April 9th, is going to be insane, man. It like the entire conversation. We're not just gonna be talking about can they get Tua. We're gonna be talking about can they get Burrow because the Bengals are gonna take Tua. It's gonna be nuts. <laughs> I agree with you that there's a lot that's potentially completely um, not even the realm of, of thinking other than what you just thought that's going to happen. It always happens with the draft. What you think in January and February, things change so dramatically, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Real quickly on a trade with the Dolphins, you would swap with five, and then would you get 18 and 26, or would you get 18, a second, and something else? I don't know. I mean, I think for those, I think, I think for those spots, I think for those spots, you're asking for 18 and 26, you know, and, 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 you know, at, at minimum, at minimum, you know, um, all right. Um, and then if, if you get that, I think you spin one of those into a second and maybe two seconds or whatever, but, yeah, um, depending on who's on the board, you know, when you get there, right. I know that the organization, knows they need more talent. And for every 
Skins fan and blogger and Twitter and everything else that wants to talk about the talent they have on defense, just go back to Jack Del Rio's public first on-the-record comments that he was asked about the talent on defense, and he was entirely dismissive of the notion. So they need more playmakers all over the field. I also very much believe and and really know that they think they can turn this thing around very quickly. And while we all know that sometimes we as a fan base – over uh, rate the talent that they have on defense. You know they were thirty second on third downs last year. Hor- horrible. Um, I think one of the Historically reasons. Historically bad. Yeah, Rivera took this job in part because he saw the opportunity for a quick turnaround, and I think they're going to be very. Yeah, I think we're going to see that quick in free agency. When uh, they go spend some real money. I, I saw your tweet on Cooper. I, to me, that doesn't make sense for the money it'll cost, but I think you'll see it at tight end, at cornerback. I think they're going to be a very real, a very real part of free agency. Yeah, my my uh, what I what I said, and I and I guess what I also tweeted out is really the primary part is they are uh, they believe they can turn around this thing quickly, and they're going to be very aggressive in free agency with all of their salary caps room and big names like Amari Cooper um, are not going to be uh, you know guys that you just you know cancel off the list of p- potential targets. I think they would target him if he if he makes it to free agency, and I think a guy like Kenyon Drake and Austin Hooper and there are a couple of other names I'm starting to put together, and I'll have you know in, on future shows as well. Now, yeah, you know, I don't. Here, here's the thing, and you know this. Don't spend big at wideout. Like Terry is your guy. Don't spend big there. Like I just, I, I don't get that. I I get why they would want a veteran starting wide receiver with three second year guys. I you know I, that when like late in his career, when Anquan Bolden just bounced around team to team, that's who you want. Amari Cooper is not a veteran leader. Like he's coming off a rookie deal. Like yeah. it's just I think and, and you're, what are you gonna have to pay him? Yeah, I think veteran maybe is the wrong years? way to the veteran may be the wrong way to, to say it. It's more of something that really is truly proven in their mind's eye, and I think they believe McLaurin can be the that. same thing. But um hold on, I had one other so what are you going to have to pay Cooper? 17, 18 a year? Oh, yeah. No, no. I, and I'm not saying I would agree with it. I just think that they're going to be thinking very big. It's going to be a little bit of a throwback, you know, free sure, agency period in terms of, you know, the names they're going to be linked to. Now, you know, here's the thing, and you know this, and right? Bruce prided himself on not spending money. <laughs> of course. Yeah. He's gone. So look at the look deal! Different. Look at the deal I got on Kendall Reyes. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. I got such a good deal on him. Um, so here's the last thing for real: they're gonna have Alex Smith isn't gonna play next year. That that's those are the oh. odds. You agree with that? I think everybody agrees that right now, if you were to assess sort of probability, the likelihood is he's not going to be a professional football player playing anymore. I, I'm not. Counting it out, I'm just saying the odds favor that. So with that understood, what kind of quarterback path do they go down? Is it the pure backup? Is it the Matt Moore? Is it the you know? Is it the Chase Daniel? Is it the Brett Hundley? Um, or is it something that legitimately we would all say, eh, that guy, Marcus Mariota, he could actually compete for the starting job. What kind of quarterback path do they take in this offseason? Don't know. I think... Let's let's assume that Tua doesn't happen, right? Yeah, let's assume that it's not Burrow or, or Tua. Um, 
I think a lot of it will depend on what Teddy Bridgewater's market is. If he is getting real quarterback money, then I think the skins are out. Because they've already got 22 mil on the books for Alex. Like, people right. have to remember that. They, yep. They've already got 30 million on the books at the position. Um, if Teddy is getting 20, 25 a year and, and, and teams are signing him to be their starter and the guy they believe in, then that's out. If that doesn't happen, then I think Bridgewater looks quite interesting. Um, and if that, if Teddy's gone, I, I think we're talking about like a Josh McCown, Matt Moore. I, I think we're, I think the situation looks very different. But that, that's just my speculation. I don't know that answer yet. Yeah. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater to me, almost at any price, unless it's really low, which I don't think it'll be, says to me, that they think Teddy Bridgewater's got a chance to be their quarterback of the future, which also, by extension, means they're not bought in to Dwayne yet. Now, Matt Moore or, you know, Chase Daniel or Brett Hundley or uh, Josh Mc... for Kyle or Kyle Allen. And I... Yeah, I mentioned Kyle Allen yesterday. Now, he's a restricted free agent, so he would have to, you know, there, there would have to be compensation if he stays in that mode. But they did draft Will Greer last year, and they said that, right. you know, Cam's their guy so it's possible that Kyle Allen and I would view Kyle Allen as a guy that they could legitimately present as competition even though I think he'd be coming in to back up Dwayne you know I, I the, do too but here's the thing with the restricted free agents is they have to the Panthers have to put a tender on him exactly with a pick, right and the skins can just match it and, and you have to give up that pick I don't know that that's going to happen and we might be like putting the cart above the horse or whatever that saying is but like that's it that that's not hard to do right i mean I, it was just interesting to hear rivera say and did he say it to you or did he said it say it to ben where he said what kind of ben asked him what kind of competition for Dwayne, and he said very competitive competition now i i i i, I think everybody wants to believe that Dwayne's going to compete for the job but unless they bring in teddy bridgewater or ryan fitzpatrick or, you know, if they bring in a Phillip Rivers, then you know he's not starting next year. You know it's going to be Rivers. Right. But if they bring in the other kind of people we're talking about, those guys are coming in as backups. You know, Matt Moore's coming in to backup, even though he started a few games last year when Mahomes was hurt. For sure. Right. And, and I think we're going to talk about this for two months, but I think at the end of the day, Haskins is your quarterback and then draft Chase Young. I, I still think that. Maybe right. I'm crazy. But. That's exactly what I think. I, you know, every conversation we'll be talking about it and going through all of the possibilities. And I think it was yesterday or the day before I said, still, if I had to wager right now, Dwayne Haskins is the starter with a pure backup guy, you know, perception wise signed, and they draft Chase Young. And, um, and the Trent Williams we were thing. We're going to do 10 minutes, right? <laughs> my Uber's coming now. I now have a show in in less than I a know. half hour, and I'm sure the producers are thrilled. I'm not. Well, a, just I'm tell them. Ch- just tell them you were talking to me, and they'll totally understand. <laughs> All right. Uh, enjoy your your final day or whatever left in in Indianapolis, and I'll talk to you next week. I cannot wait to get out of Indiana. <laughs> Kevin, I promise you that. I hear you. Thanks, JP. Thanks, dude. All right. See you, man. All right, good to catch up with JP. A lot there to sort of digest. The the Trent Williams stuff certainly sounds like JP is on the verge of sort of breaking some news on Trent Williams and the contract demands and how far apart he is with the team. That's um, 
the twenty million, that's too much. You can't pay him twenty million bucks. If you're the team, you gotta look to trade him. Now the problem with some of these dollars getting out there, if they're true and Trent's gonna demand them, period, it's gonna lower the amount of compensation you can get back for him because it's going to cost a team so much and it may limit the number of teams that are even interested if that's what he's demanding. Look, he lost a lot of money last year. You know, holding out cost him a lot of money. And JP's line about they're going to try to make it up on a big contract extension. And I bet it's one of those things where that agent was telling him, you hang in there, you know, we're either going to get traded and we're going to get a new deal, we'll make up for what you've lost, or when we get to next offseason, they're going to either have to trade you or extend you and we'll be able to make it up. You know, they're going for not only what they think his value is, but what he lost last year. And that's unfortunately not something another team is going to feel compelled to pay for. That that wasn't their problem. And really, it's not the Redskins' problem either anymore. Not this particular administration. Um, I think the chances now, after talking to JP, of a trade are higher with the compensation potential being you know at risk here. I would say what JP did, and I said it on radio this morning, it's a second, maybe a second and a fourth for Trent if you trade him. Um, And if he were willing to take a deal that's more in sort of the top five range in terms of average annual, I would probably be fine if the Redskins chose to go down that path. Um, But remember the mode I am in, which is I am all in on Ron Rivera, at least for now. The Ryan Kerrigan thing... (laughs) You know, I do think that there is this feeling that the organization has always had and the thing that they focus too much on, which is about, you know, uh, Ring of Fame and who's representing them at Harvest Fest and who's the guy that they, you know, want to put up on websites and on golf tournaments and all of that. And it's not never been about, you know, actually what happens on Sundays and Monday nights. You know, and and there's no doubt that Ryan Kerrigan could potentially be a real good impact player for the next two to three years with really good coaching. You know, I mean, the Preston Smith, Lorenzo Alexander stuff, remember when they moved, in Preston Smith's case last year, they moved as younger players. So if you think of like the new coaching staff as like a new restart for Ryan Kerrigan, that's great, except that he's an older player. Um, but I'm not discounting the possibility at all that a 4-3 defense with him as a defensive end, um, with him as an inside tackle as a pass rusher potentially, with good coaching, that we couldn't see you know, some of the best Ryan Kerrigan still to come, and that Ron, uh, Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio feel the same way, and that this is 100% their decision, that after evaluating Ryan's season last year, which was cut short for the first time in his career, where he actually got injured and missed games, that after you know reviewing tape, and they know who he is, obviously, anyway, um, they, 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 they've played against him, they've coached against him in the past, They've watched him. They know what kind of player he is, and they know what kind of scheme they're running. And hopefully, you know, this is all about, man, Ryan Kerrigan, 
you know, two, three-year contract, you know, with sort of a, a cap hit, you know, that's team-friendly because it's spread out rather than, you know, the 11.6 or whatever he's got left for one year, that's a bargain because we can really fit him in and, you know, in, in early down distance here and on pass situations here and he'll fit this kind of defensive scheme. Like, they, hopefully it's about what they think he can contribute to their defense and not about, hey, the owner saying, hey, Ron, he's a Redskin, man. Ryan Kerrigan's a true Redskin. He is a major part of this community. I don't want to see him finish his career elsewhere. I hope it's not about that. To hell with that. Who gives a crap about that? You know what the Redskins have won with Ryan Kerrigan? Nada. Nothing. Zero. And to JP's point, we all know it as fans. Some of our all-time favorite players ended their careers elsewhere. Gary Clark, Art Monk, Dexter Manley. You know, the list goes on and on. You know, Super Bowl MVP Mark Rippon ended his career in multiple different places. You know, so I don't want to hear about, you know, true redskin. I don't want to hear about ring of fame. You can put him in all the ring of fames you want after he finishes his career in Houston and with the Rams. You know, if you don't think he's a good fit. So if they think he's a good fit and this is a Rivera-Jack Del Rio decision, I'm good with it. On the sheriff thing... I don't want Sheriff to go anywhere. I don't. I think Sheriff is incredibly effective and athletic. Um, you don't you don't see many guards run the way Brandon Sheriff runs. You don't see many guards move athletically the way Brandon Sheriff can move athletically. Uh, I would prefer a long contract extension rather than a, a, a significant one-year franchise tag. You know, our experience here with the franchise tag uh, isn't a good one. Um, you know, with that said, if they slap the tag on him here uh, on him in, in the next few days, um, it doesn't mean that they can't get to a long-term contract extension. They can continue to negotiate with the player and he can sign a long uh, contract extension even while on the tag. Um, all right, I wanted to get to this thing uh, next. Um, actually, a couple one, one last thought on Trent Williams. Um, if the money's too much and they move on by trading Trent Williams. You still got to come up with a left tackle, you know, and now what you are potentially creating is a need to trade back in the draft and pick up more picks. And I don't want losing Trent Williams to sort of influence how the draft is handled at number two. And what I mean by that is if Chase Young is by far and away the number one player on the board and he's there at number two and you think he is the next dominant pass rusher in the game, I want the Redskins to take him. I don't want the need at corner, the need at left tackle, the need at tight end to influence the decision at number two and perhaps lead to a trade back with, say, Miami, as JP pointed out, 
where you pick up number five overall and you're able to get Jeff Okuda, if he's there, the corner, to fill the corner uh, need. And then at 18 overall with Miami's second uh, first-round pick that you get, you're able to fill the left tackle need with Andrew Thomas from Georgia, just throwing out some of the the guys that are going to be in that, that range of the draft. And then in the second round, you're like, you know what? We can get ourselves a guard if we don't sign Sheriff or Flowers, or we can go get a tight end there. I understand that there are many holes. I also understand the concept of drafting more players increases the, the likelihood that you'll hit on more players. That you that Not as a percentage, but because the percentage is so low, if you assume that you hit on 35% of the players you draft, then it's better to draft more players than less, especially if you can't pinpoint which ones are going to work out and which ones don't. Most can't. They think they can, but they can't. With that said, if Chase Young is there, brother, I'm not passing on Chase Young. And he's going to be there more likely than not. And if you don't have Trent Williams, it's going to potentially bring into the conversation the trade back uh, as sort of deemed to be more important. Because now you can fill the left tackle need, you can fill the corner need. Okay, you didn't get the best pass rusher of the next 10 years, but you got yourself an elite starting corner and you know a really good left tackle that you think can play. You know, so you filled uh, two holes with really, really good players, but you gave up on the sure thing. I don't want to go that route. I don't. So that's the other just sort of potential fallout from, you know, trading Trent, which I'm okay with. I just don't want it to influence the way they handle number two, and I think it could. All right, I uh, wanted to get to um, something. We're going to do two, two more things on this show. We're going to talk about Doug Gottlieb's tweet uh, yesterday, and then Aaron and I are going to talk about Maryland-Michigan State, which is a game for the Terps to clinch a share of the Big Ten title with a win tomorrow night against Michigan State. We'll get to that right after uh, a quick mention of Stamps.com. If you are a small business and you are making too many runs to the post office and spending too much on postage, use Stamps.com. We have, lots of small businesses have, over 700,000 small businesses use Stamps.com. It's really easy. You print out from your computer postage. You don't need a meter. You don't need to spend significantly. You get five cents off off every first class stamp, 40% off priority mail. And if you use my promo code at stamps.com, um, and that promo code is Kevin DC, you'll save even more. Stamps.com saves you time, saves you money. Really, really effective for smaller businesses. Okay. Doug Gottlieb does a radio show for Fox Radio. You, you're, you know Gottlieb. I know Gottlieb. Mm-hmm. I don't know him personally. Actually, that's not when I say I don't know him personally. I actually did. Did I tell you this that like years ago I did a fantasy football thing with him? Did I tell you that? I you didn't know. When he was at ESPN, and we were an ESPN affiliated station, they had him come down. He was doing something with fantasy football. And they asked me to co-host it with them at a restaurant. I can't even remember where it was. And we ended up spending two hours together one night. And, and actually, it was fine because we ended up talking a lot, about, a lot about basketball. You know, Gottlieb actually is a sharp opinion as a basketball guy. He played college basketball at Oklahoma State after he got booted out of Notre Dame for stealing credit cards. Um, 
anyway, he's you know he's been sort of you know a talk show host for years, an opinion maker um, at ESPN, CBS, and now Fox. Right, that's where he is now. So on his show yesterday, and he tweeted this out as well. Um, I'll read you the tweet. He said the following, quote, One Redskins source told me Dwayne Haskins was so bad with the Redskins playbook that the previous staff was concerned he was dyslexic. And then in parentheses he wrote, he is not. Closed parentheses. Um, so... This got a lot of attention. I, I mean, I woke up this morning and it was, you know, I went to Twitter and I went to my notifications just to see if there was anything. And I always do that to see if there any big news that I missed after sleeping that night. And everybody had sent me this particular tweet. And, you know, there were lots of, you know, this is what you guys in the media do. You always make it about race. It's always, you know, he's too dumb. The D.C. media and even the Redskin fan base has been too tough on black quarterbacks, yada, yada, yada. First of all, you know, just for those of you that don't know, dyslexia is not something that really is attached to intelligence in any way. And I'm not, by the way, disputing or even ha- I don't even have a problem with someone who reads that tweet and thinks to themselves, Gottlieb is essentially telling you that the Redskins told you, told him that Dwayne Haskins is dumb. You know, it had so much trouble, so bad with the playbook was the exact quote. Dwayne Haskins was so bad with the Redskins playbook that the previous staff was concerned he was dyslexic. Again, dyslexia, in fact, more often than, than not, people with dyslexia are actually highly intelligent. You know, it's the same thing with ADHD and ADD. And those of you that have experience with it, either have it or know people that have it, you know that 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 is not an indication of any level of intelligence. And and in fact, most people who are attention deficited are innately super bright. Um, And that is also the case with dyslexia. Um, And I'm not an expert in it, um, but I know enough about it um, after reading about it and, and, and talking to various people who I know have it. Um, so anyway, um, what he tweeted with the exception of was so bad with the Redskins playbook, um, the dyslexic part, you know, if you, again, if you understand that that isn't necessarily, um, an indication that he's accusing him of being dumb, which is the way a lot of people took it, um, then it's sort of a tweet where you can just say, okay, whatever. Like you could say, actually, I'm interested. Is he dyslexic or not? Because if he is, then he's got to be taught. Like he learns differently. Um, And some of you will understand that much more than I. Um, But um, what Gottlieb was doing was putting out something that he knows is going to be received in a certain way. And he's stirring it up. You know, first of all, all of these leaks over the last week, with the Redskins, you know, uh, Trent Williams news and this news on the condition of anonymity, somebody close to the situation in the organization. The leaks haven't stopped, if you've noticed, uh, even with the new administration. Um, I digress. Back to the Gottlieb tweet. So um, uh, you can think about Gottlieb anything you want. I don't, I don't like that he put that tweet out. He followed it up with something. Um, I'll read you the follow-up here. Uh because essentially then, you know, he sort of backtracked and said, I wasn't implying anything about intelligence. I'll find it here in a second. Give me one second. 
FYI, quote, FYI, dyslexia doesn't mean someone isn't intelligent. Quite the opposite, oftentimes. Previous staff couldn't figure it out. He simply couldn't call a play in the huddle correctly for a month. All right, so that was his follow-up. By the way, in that follow-up, you know, I think what we were learning is the Redskins source was somebody on the old coaching staff. That's my guess. Well, yeah. So um, a couple of things real quickly on this. First of all, you know, Jay Gruden's playbook wasn't easy for Alex Smith to pick up in the first year. It's a challenge. You know, one of the reasons Jay Gruden didn't want any rookie quarterback is that he had to win last year, and his playbook and his system, you know, takes time, and he wanted to go with guys that he felt were veteran guys that either knew the playbook or, you know, like a Colt McCoy was his, you know, number one guy that he wanted to go with, um, or, you know, as a veteran might pick it up a little bit faster than a rookie. Okay, the thing that I heard about Dwayne from the jump, bright and likable. The narratives that came out of Redskins Park, all right, and out of the organization, which, by the way, you know, is not a DC media leak. The team leaked all that stuff to media and to fans, all right? Um, All of that stuff was always initiated by the team and the people that were speaking and leaking from the team. But I never heard about Dwayne. And those of you that have listened to this show going back to when they drafted him, all the only thing I've heard is the same things you've heard, which is the commitment level, the work ethic. I've always heard super bright and very likable, you know, and then we're not even getting into the football stuff. So dyslexia doesn't have anything to do with this. You know, he could be dyslexic and still very smart and very likable, you know, And he also could have had a problem with the playbook because the playbook's really hard to learn. Jay Gruden had a very, very complex playbook. And Alex Smith struggled with it in his first year. The part of this that I wanted to get to for three minutes, hear me out, is some of the reaction to this as it relates to DC media and Redskins fans. I saw a lot of follow-ups to the Gottlieb stuff saying, man, this is typical you know, DC media stuff trying to tear down a black quarterback or trying to tear down the team. First of all, Gottlieb's not DC, hello. Um, and other people suggesting, man, I'll tell you, the quarterbacks, if you've got a black quarterback in Washington, that fan base and that media base, we're all getting accused here, is really, really difficult to deal with. And that's just not true. You know, I remember several years ago during the whole RG3 Kirk Cousins thing, the guy from ESPN, Bomani Jones, you know, made it one of those racial conversations, you know, uh, DC media, Redskin fans want the white quarterback, not the black quarterback. And I, I remember getting into it a little bit with him on Twitter and, and, and saying exactly what I'm going to say now. And, and that is, that's not our city. That's not us. You know, that's... Most of you, like me, would be fine if the quarterback was purple, if he was really good and we won with him. It's just not the city where the color of the quarterback's skin has ever mattered. Well, let me me, me amend that. Obviously, it was the last team to integrate. We know what the history of the team is. I'm talking about the last 30 to 40 years, okay? Doug Williams in 1987, 
I've used this example before. In a less evolved society, I guess you would describe it, which is, you know, 33 years ago, 1987, Doug Williams was the preferred quarterback in this town, 10 to 1 over Jay Schrader. By media people, by fans. Why? Because we thought he was better, smarter, and by the way, much more likable. And you know what? We were all right about that. 33 years ago, this town had Doug Williams and Jay Schrader. And this town wanted, media-wise and fan-wise, Doug Williams to be the quarterback. And we were right. And we won. We won a Super Bowl. Jay Schrader was not very likable. We, we thought that he was way too inconsistent. We didn't think he was overly brilliant. And Doug Williams provided the opposite, provided the opposite of that. So that's 33 years ago. I mean, the conversation about RG3 and Kirk Cousins was a very simple one by 99% of fans. It was, one guy's good and the other isn't. And you know what? We were right about that too. One guy's continuing to start in the league, got the first all-guaranteed contract pretty much in the history of the league, and the other guy has barely played or has been a backup since then. All right? So it wasn't about black quarterback, white quarterback. It was about good quarterback, not good quarterback. You know, the only quarterback in the history of this, of my lifetime being a Redskins fan, that I can ever remember being referred to as lacking in intelligence, and I don't even know if it was true, but remember the stories about Heath Schuler, the number three overall pick, and in 1993, Norv Turner's first big pick. I remember the stories about Brian Mitchell needing to call the plays in the huddle because Schuler didn't know the playbook, and he was difficult to understand that North Turner would sometimes rely on others, including guys like Brian Mitchell, to help him call the plays in the huddle. That's the only quarterback that I can remember in this town where media people or even the fan base said, not real bright. And I have no idea if Heath Schuler was bright or not bright. He became a congressman. That doesn't mean anything, as we know, in terms of intelligence. But it's never, ever, from my perspective, as a lifelong fan as being in the media for a long time, as having a connection to the fan base as a fan in this city, been about race at quarterback since, you know, obviously we had a racist owner for many years and we were the last team to integrate. I understand the team's history. I'm talking about since, you know, the 70s and 80s, my lifetime of watching the Redskins. And I hate the knock that something like this, you know, sort of brings up among people about DC media or the Redskin fan base, sometimes from people outside the market. It's just not true. And it never has been true. All right. Last thing, and we'll finish up the show. Uh, huge game tomorrow night at Xfinity Center. I had Naki on the radio show this morning, and he did clear up if we hadn't cleared this up already, Aaron, because I think it was still a little bit unclear for us about how the Big Ten works with respect to naming a champion. Um, Maryland is one win away from clinching a share of the Big Ten regular season. Yes. So a share of the regular season, there's no tiebreaker for. 
there you don't name if if Maryland ends up in a first place tie with Wisconsin as an example, even though Wisconsin beat them head to head in their only meeting, they are co champions. Just, just like Maryland has the 2010 banner, even though Duke was the one seed that year, they were the one it, seed, but Maryland had split with Duke right, that year. But they, too. they were co regular season. Yes, yes, yeah, they were co they were co regular season champs. Which, by the way, did we mention this yesterday? That's the last time Duke won an ACC championship. I don't know if it's we crazy mentioned it, but we season. definitely talked about it. Yeah. Um, so Maryland's got a chance to clinch a share of the Big Ten title um, with a win tomorrow night, and with two more wins, look, one more win could clinch, you know, the, the title ultimately uh, on their own. Um, at 14 and six, if they were to lose two of their games, two wins automatically clinches. If they get to 15 wins, um, they're uh, a, a, a championship solo without you know sharing it. Um, it's a tough game tomorrow night. Michigan State's not the same as a lot of these Michigan State teams in the past, in my opinion. I think they struggle to score at times. Now, since losing to Maryland in that crazy game two weeks ago where Anthony Cowan scored the final 11 points in the game, they've beaten Nebraska and they came from behind to beat Iowa. Um, they're, you know, they're obviously, very obviously a tournament team. Um, and they're, they've got a chance still, they actually still have a chance to be a top four seed if they make a run here. And I think this is a big game for them, a little bit of a revenge spot for them uh, tomorrow night. It's going to be, in my opinion, Aaron, the biggest feel to a game in College Park since 2010, since that Duke game where they clinched the share of the ACC title. I think that's right, especially when you throw in the fact that game day is going to be there for the first time in 15 years. The fact that they'll have, you know, you will have some students who come to come to the game day thing, go back, party however, party and prepare however you want to, and then come back in line. I think that this is going to rival some of those Duke feelings, honestly. Yeah, because. Um, there's going to be a ton of liquid uh, refreshment preparation uh, during the course of the day. I will be partaking as well. Uh, if you'd like to come out to Bentley's, I don't know, about 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, something like that, I'm going to be out there um, prior to the game. Uh, Van Pelt's going to be in town. Scott's going to be in town. A lot of people uh, are coming back for this one, in part because Michigan State has been the you know has been the behemoth in the league, and Maryland took them down a couple of weeks ago, and when Maryland went into the Big Ten, Aaron, this is the team that I wanted to develop a rivalry with. And I don't know if we'll ever get Michigan State to feel you know, uh, uh, anything towards Maryland. And right now, I don't really feel anything towards Michigan State. Um, but it would be, you know, it would be a nice little thing if over a, a stretch, Maryland and Michigan State played significant games for championships in league play and in tournament play. You know, they're going to play them tomorrow. Um, they could potentially meet again in the in the Big Ten tournament in uh, in uh, Indianapolis. Um, and who knows? They could meet in the in the NCAA tournament. You know, it's, it takes that kind of a thing. Just need more history. But I'd love it to become a thing. Um, but I think that if tomorrow night's game, as an example, were against um, Wisconsin, who right now is in second place, it wouldn't have nearly the feel. No, no. Definitely part of it is Michigan State and Mich- who Michigan State is. And kind of building this out, I think one of the reasons I really want not just the, the co-regular season games, I want the outright, is because for Maryland to become a thing in the Big Ten, they need something to hang their hat on. They've been fine for the past few years. They've gotten top four finishes, but they've never really done anything noteworthy. So they've never really given other fan bases a reason to care about them. So be, being a 
sole regular season champ and going on from there, whatever they could do, I think is important for Maryland. I do too. You know, when Maryland went into the Big Ten, other Big Ten schools, basketball schools, I think were really intrigued by it. You know, for the first four or five years, Aaron, we're in year six, so the first two or three years, uh, I can remember going to a lot of those Maryland Big Ten games, and there were a lot of fans from the other Big Ten basketball schools like Purdue Indiana. and Indiana and Michigan State and Michigan. You know, Michigan and Michigan State are football schools, but their basketball programs are significant that showed up because they knew – you know, Maryland was a big deal and having him in the league is a big deal. And they know and, and understand as college basketball fans what Xfinity Center has been for big games. It's been quite the atmosphere. And, I, you know, I remember many times talking to a lot of those people on the way out. The worst was the the day they blew the 17-point the lead to Purdue. Uh, I remember Scott and I were in Bentleys or somewhere else and there were a bunch of Purdue fans. And they're like, oh, man, that, that place was crazy. And I just wanted to say, you know what? We're sick of being in this dumb tractor league. Put us back in the ACC. Um, but anyway, uh, tomorrow night's big. It, it'll be. It's a tough ticket. Co- complete sellout. You know, to get into the building in any decent seat, it's going to cost you three, four hundred bucks minimum on StubHub, and there aren't even many tickets left uh, in the aftermarket. It might even be more than that at this point. Um, it'll be a scene out there, and, and you know, in, in terms of the matchup, I'd like to see Maryland play better. I'd like to see Sticks not get in foul trouble. I'd like to see Cowan knock down some shots, and I think it'll happen. You know, at home, the two games that they've had where the, neither one of them, you know, Sticks was f- phenomenal in the second half of the game on uh, on on Wednesday night. Um, Cowan's stretch here of, of not making a three pointer since their last home game against Northwestern, I think, will come to an end. I think he'll make some shots feeling at home. But I think it's going to be a very tight game. You know, Michigan State's got this guy, Rocket Watts, who's been playing much better, really, really good defender. Um, Cassius Winston, you know, has been player of the year in the Big Ten. I think Anthony right now has a leg up on him for, you know, first team all Big Ten point guard. You know, I think he's got a leg up on Simpson and uh, and Winston right now um, for that spot. I, you know... If Cassius Winston, based on reputation, ends up winning or ends up being named first team Big Ten point guard, I'm going to be a little upset about that because I think Anthony's had the better year um, this year. But Maryland's got a chance to sweep Michigan State. Michigan State's not going down easy tomorrow night. I see a very tight game that Maryland wins late. This has been a team for the past few years that's really fed off of the crowd, whether it's the away crowd or particularly the home crowd. In a game like this, in a scene like this, something that, again, I don't think any of these guys have experience to this point. To the degree that I'm expecting, right? I think they feed off of it and the crowd gets them the win. Yeah. I mean, Aaron and I are experts when it comes to Xfinity Center crowds. Tomorrow night, I think, has a chance to be the best environment. And there have been some good ones, and there have been some big, big games. It's not like they haven't played some really big games in the Big Ten. You know, that first year when they played Wisconsin – who was ranked three and Maryland was ranked 10 or whatever. And Iowa came in as like number four or whatever. And Maryland was 10. There was that first Georgetown game. That was a really cool crowd. Yeah. That was a a great crowd that particular night. A couple of the UVA games, you know, in the ACC big 10 challenge were great crowds. Um, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think they've experienced what they're going to experience tomorrow night. This is going to feel like it'll never feel like Duke or Carolina's back in the building. But it'll be the next best thing. 
tomorrow night. I, that's what I would expect. And I uh, and I like him to win the game. What's your prediction? Yeah, I'd say 70-66. Tight, tight game. Maryland wins it late. 73-72. to 72. All right, there you go. Uh, all right, uh, that's it. Uh, the NFL did release some news, if you're interested in this, and we usually are, about the Mexico City game next year. The Cardinals are one of the teams uh, in that game. Um, the, the Redskins do are a the, home they, opponent for Arizona. They are a home opponent for the Cardinals, so who knows? That game, the Redskins could play Arizona in Mexico City on a Monday night more likely than not. Remember those field conditions? last Two years ago, postponed. Last year, wasn't very good when they finally got that Kansas City Chargers game in. All right, uh, thanks to J.P. Finley. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Enjoy the weekend. Talk to you on Monday.